Last week, while we were, Don and I were in Branson, uh, Missouri, uh, just for the last uh, Friday night, Saturday, and then we returned Sunday, we um, were there uh, Saturday afternoon and visited a, a stage, a, a theatrical production uh, that is uh, put on by an organization known as Sight and Sound. If you're ever in Branson and you're able to uh, go to this facility that is called uh, Sight and Sound uh, in Branson, I would highly recommend it. Uh, for the past three times that we've been there, we've been to Sight and Sound for three times and seen uh, three productions. Uh, this most recent one uh, depicted Noah and the Flood, uh, and uh, we've seen, I think it was Samson, uh, and then Moses parting uh, the Red Sea. And it, uh, these productions are uh, beyond what uh, you, I am able to physically describe. If you've seen any of them, you know how grand they are, even to the point of having uh, live animals going up and down the aisles and on the stage, and uh, the, the Bible is brought uh, to life through these stories. All three of those uh, productions reminded me, though, uh, particularly this last one uh, depicting Noah and the flood, uh, reminded me that the Word of God contained in our scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are interrelated, interwoven. Um, The old and the new are scriptures that point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, ultimately, uh, that is the message of Noah, is that through the flood, in the ark, God's people were saved. It is the flood that brought judgment upon the earth. Uh, it is the ark that brings salvation to God's people, and Jesus Christ is the reality of the ark, the ark of the new covenant, as we are joined in him, through him experience life and salvation. See, over the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, it's hard to believe that we're getting already to that point where we're uh, thinking about Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas, but over the next few weeks as we anticipate uh, those two uh, holidays, Thanksgiving and then Christmas through the Advent season, we're going to consider uh, the one who came to seek and to save those who are lost as he reveals himself through a series of I am statements that are found particularly in the Gospel of John. Those seven statements explain who Jesus is and why he has come. Those statements, let me just remind you very quickly what they are, are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the sheep gate. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
As we begin to consider over the next few weeks those statements, let's turn to John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26, which gives us a basis and a foundation for these statements as we are going to look at them over the next few weeks. Turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 7. Reading there, we see, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given it, given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me that water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you Uh, People say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one comes, He will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and the flowers fall. But the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've heard these words that we've just read so many times. 
Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us fresh eyes to see and new hearts to receive the one who is the great I am. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When someone says this, I am, it reveals something about the one who is saying those words. It reveals something about his or her identity, who they are. Some of you will remember I am, that I am, and that's all that I am. Remember that funny little cartoon on Popeye the Sailor Man with his muscles? He revealed something about himself. Anyone who says this, I am, is revealing something, if we listen closely, about who they are as they fill in that blank. What follows that I am reveals something about the core of that person's being, about what is most important to that person or what is most important about that person. When I say I am a Christian, it reveals something about my belief, about who I am trusting in, about who I identify with and what is most important to me. So when Jesus says, I am, we need to listen. Our ears need to perk up. We should pay very close attention to those words that follow when he says, I am, but also what those words, I am, refer to. Because Jesus is pulling back that curtain on his glorious character. And he's telling us something about himself that is profoundly important. Something we don't want to miss. I am. Because that statement, I am, indicates that it is all about Jesus. And I think I mentioned to a group of you who were uh, meeting with us on Wednesday evenings before uh, the, the pandemic sort of shut things down for a time. At one time, I uh, found myself teaching uh, a high school class, sophomores, 10th graders, and there were some uh, seniors in the class, but for the most part, this was a 10th grade class called Worldviews. It was a class in which I tried to get the class to begin to really think about what they believe, not just to, to take on the cloak or the mantle of what their parents said they ought to believe, but what they truly believe. Hopefully it was what their Christian parents had taught them and inculcated in them all over the years. But, you know, what we believe ought to be what we own as our own convictions, our own beliefs. It was a difficult class for many of them because they weren't used to thinking 
in the way that I intended for them to think. Pulling back layers of information so that we could get at the very core of their beliefs. And very lightly, I said to them, if ever you are asked a question in this class and you don't quite know what the answer is, the perfect answer is always Jesus. Right? I don't know. Jesus. Because it is all about Him. Now, that may be a very simplistic way to answer a question, but it is all about Him. Because at the center of our Bibles, we know is God, our triune God. So we say our Bibles are theocentric. We study theology. Okay? Theocentric simply means it is God-centered. But we can rightly say that our Bibles are Christocentric. These words point us to the very heart of the Scriptures is Christ. For on the, the crimson strand of Christ's blood, God gives us every one of His gracious promises. Christ is the answer. It is Jesus because the scriptures are all about him. The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. The confession says, who being the eternal son of God became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures. And one person forever. When we think about that phrase, I am, my thoughts immediately go back to an Old Testament passage in which God tells Moses to go tell the people, I am sent you. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we see these words here. Then Moses said to God as he was there, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, say to them, I am who I am has sent you. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. When we hear those words, I am, we ought immediately to think about this passage here in Exodus, as God is revealing to His people who He is. This word that we have here, I am has sent you, is 
in the in the Hebrew. I, I'm not going to give you a Hebrew and a, a Greek and a Septuagint uh, lesson here today, but just be aware that these words "I am" are in the Hebrew and in the Greek from the verb to be. Now, in English, our verb to be, when you conjugate that verb, it is I am, you are, he is, we are, you are, they are, in all its different tenses, in all its different forms, I am. God says here to Moses, I am, and it's in a tense in the Hebrew that indicates it's not an action that has stopped. It's an action that may have started, that we know started in eternity past and continues in the present and will go on to eternity future. I am that I am. I am who I am. Say I am has sent you. In Jewish tradition, this phrase, I am, becomes synonymous with the word Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, as you're looking at your Bibles and you're reading through the Scriptures, I've said this before, if anything, if ever, when I am not here in this pulpit, you probably will remember this one thing. Lord, in your Old Testament Scriptures, all caps, capital L and a little bit lower, O-R-D, O-R-D caps, is the word for I am, Yahweh. Okay? Some Bibles translated Jehovah. Some take the vowels out of those words and say Adonai, Lord. But when you see L-O-R-D, all caps, it is the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses out of the burning bush, sending Him to His people to say, I am sent me. Now, we move to a time in the New Testament, or close to that New Testament era, And there are many uh, Jews who speak Greek in that New Testament era. And they had a Bible that was called the Septuagint. And that Septuagint translated these words, I am, into I, the pronoun, and then the verb, I am. So if we read that word literally in the uh, New Testament translating Exodus Three, it would say, I, I am. In Greek, it is, for those scholars here, ego, a me. I, I am. That name, I am, is translated into the Greek with those words. I, I am. Ego, a me. So that when people in the New Testament time heard those words, you know what they immediately thought of? Particularly if they were Jews. Moses in the burning bush. 
All of these I am statements point us to who Jesus is, who He reveals Himself as, drawing our attention, drawing a firm connection between Jesus' identity, the second person of the Trinity, being very God, a very God. Jesus is the I am. As we look at this passage here in John chapter 4, you might say, why are we looking at that? Well, Jesus says to this woman at the end of his discourse with her, in verse 26, he says to her, I, I am the one speaking to you. Now our English Bibles take that take liberties with that and translate it so our English ears will hear it and understand it. But if we take those Greek words very uh, literally word for word, it is I, ego, a me, I am the one speaking to you. Three times, this woman tries to engage him in an argument so that she can get away from him and no longer have to talk with him. The first time, if you're looking at John chapter 4 and verse 9, she reminds him that she is a Samaritan. And Samaritans don't associate with uh, Jews, purebred Jews. And he's a Jew. And talking together too. Uh, secondly, as a man to a woman at the well was, uh, we might say, a, a social misstep. Okay? Uh, there was uh, potentially some difficulties and some problems that could develop out of even that. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And yet, it didn't stop Jesus from talking with her. Secondly, she tries to, to bring in religion. You know, because we all know we don't, certain topics we don't talk about socially, right? Religion's one of them, normally, except here. I mean, that's sometimes, and the first thing we talk about is religion. And that's good. That's great. We should. But she tries a, a, you know, to take a, a religious viewpoint, asking uh, him, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because this is his well. And this is where he watered his people and his animals. The Jews didn't really believe that the Samaritans were rightly descendants of the line of Jacob. But this didn't stop Jesus from talking with her and showing her love and compassion. Then in verse 20, she tries again with another religion uh, topic, uh, mentioning where they ought to worship. With anyone else, this would have been enough to, to drive them away. And yet, Jesus stays engaged with her. And he says to her those words, I, I am, am the one speaking to you. 
What's he doing? He's drawing attention even to her and to those who are around that there is a close relationship between him and Yahweh. I am. I am divine, he says. I am the Messiah. I and the Father are one. And you know what? This is huge to her and to the disciples. At that point that he was saying this, the disciples were coming back and they were amazed that he had been speaking, first of all, with a woman. Secondly, with a Samaritan woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see who told me these things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? The Messiah? They went out of the city, the men in the city went out in the city following this woman they despised and were coming to him. The disciples walked up and they see Jesus talking and they hear him say those words, I am. And the disciples even now don't thoroughly realize who he is and what he has come to do. Some of them not even until after his resurrection from the dead. The woman leaving her water pot there, as I said, went into the city, bringing the men into Jesus' presence so that they might see the one who is the Messiah. Would she have done that if she had not been changed? Changed by an encounter with the one who is the great I am. Here is the one who changes lives. Who calms fears. There's another passage. Happens to be in John as well. In which the disciples find themselves in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Evening had come. The disciples went down to the sea and after getting into the boat they started off across the sea to Capernaum about six miles wide. They were out in the middle of it. It had become dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up and because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed out about three miles or four they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Coming across to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Those words that he uses there are, by the way, I, I am, ego, me. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The storm is blowing. The disciples are filled with fear. They're out in the middle of this dark, deadly sea. 
And they see someone walking on the water and eventually recognize him as Jesus. And verse 19 says that they were afraid, to which Jesus responds, I, I am. Do not be afraid. Here he's once again drawing together the old with the new. And they're willing to receive him into that boat when the disciples hear his divine proclamation about who he is, they respond by receiving him. Do you know the story? There was one disciple who wanted to go after his Lord and his master. It did not matter what was going on around him. Uh, Peter, fearless Peter, gets out of the boat and begins approaching Jesus. And Peter said to the Lord, If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter does that. He is the only other man in history that walks on water other than Jesus himself. And yet, as he starts to look at what is around him, what happens? He begins to sink. He begins to falter. He begins to fear. Here is the one who calms all fears. As we keep eyes focused upon Him, He is the one who directs our paths, who enables us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death so that we might not fear any evil or anything that might be going on around us. Peter walks with faith toward the one who calms all fears, the great I am. For Jesus, the I, I am, is before all things. He just didn't come to exist at that point in time in the New Testament in which He was born in the flesh. He existed from all eternity as the great I Am. Good John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59. Here is another encounter with a group of people that Jesus, uh, during His earthly ministry, had physical contact with and tensions with throughout. And ultimately, it led to His crucifixion on the cross. As He speaks to these people, He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see My day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to Him, Wait a minute. You're not yet uh, 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Insinuating, you're not hundreds of years old. You're not even 50 years old. And yet you're saying, you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
Oh, another link in that revelation of Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. Because before Abraham was, I, I am. Therefore, what did they do? They picked up stones to throw at him because he was blaspheming God in their eyes. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is saying that he has no beginning. Unlike Abraham who was born, who had a specific birth date, a start and an end. Jesus saw Abraham's day because He created Abraham's day. Jesus is clearly showing His Lordship, His divinity, His divine nature to the Jews who did not have eyes to see. And the Jews in the temple responded by first rejecting Him and then trying to kill Him for blaspheming. Look at one more time to John chapter 18. Verse 14. Or verse 4. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? Now, in the context, this is on the night of his betrayal. And this group of people are coming in to, uh, to arrest him. And he's saying, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. And what did he say? He said to them, I, I am. I am he. Another <laughs> link in that reference to the Old Testament name that God had given Himself to give to Moses, to give to the people, to answer that question, who shall I say sent me? I am has sent me. And Judas, who was betraying Jesus, was standing with them. And so when he said to them, I am. Now you notice in your Bibles that italicized he. Barely you can see it up there on the screen. But that is an insertion by our uh, English translators, by the translators of our Bibles, to fill in sense in our heads so that we understand what is being said in the grammar. But literally, once again, Jesus is saying, I, I am. I am He. They drew back and fell to the ground because they knew the reference and what He was referring to. Therefore, He again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I, I am He. So if you seek Me, let these things go their way. Here is the One who created all things, who 
by Him and through Him and in things, in Him all things were created who is submitting to the will of God the Father so that all these things may go their way so that He might fulfill His purpose and save all His people from their sin. The I Am had spoken. Jesus is the Lord. And here, even though He is surrendering Himself, the power and the authority of the name of God is still proclaimed as He submits Himself to these people. We live in a day and a time that has been difficult, hasn't it? And if you continue to listen to any number of newscasts or read uh, papers or by whatever means you get information about what's going on in the world, you would think that things are going to increasingly get more difficult. We could get overwhelmed by the wind and the waves of the world and these storms as Peter was overwhelmed by those winds and the waves as he took his eyes off of Jesus. So here is one that we have, that we know today and now is the great I, I am. Not just a great prophet. Not just a good person. Not simply one who lived in the first century and died, but one who lived the life that we were called to live, yet without sin, was crucified, buried, put in the grave, resurrected on the third day, and is ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Where are your eyes focused? On The I, I am. The writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him. What was standing before Him? What was He confronted with in the garden in which He was arrested? Submitting His will to the will of the Father. Knowing His time had come to take upon Himself our sin in His body upon that tree so that by His wounds we might be healed for the joy set before Him. Endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of God the Father For consider Him who endured all of that on our behalf. Not grow weary, keeping our eyes focused on Him so that when we hear Jesus saying over the next few weeks, I am. 
We're going to hear him say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when we hear him say those words, I am, they're the same words that we, see, we saw today that we read in Exodus that God spoke to Moses. We ought to think, He is the one. I am the living water. We see that water pouring from the rock in the wilderness and filling us with life. When he says, I am the sheep gate, we ought to hear that voice of the great shepherd of the sheep speaking into each of our lives. When he says, I am the vine, we ought to hear God speaking through Isaiah. the parable of the vine and the branches. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. We ought to see and hear the one who is our only hope for life, salvation, for truth, and righteousness. I am the great I am. Heavenly Father, O Lord, 